This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley and is part five of our Fully Scriptural series. So I heard that um, a new movie is in the works, and it's from my favorite genre of movies, spy movies, spy thrillers. And this one is on one of America's, if not the greatest American spy who ever lived. And you may be surprised to know, in my opinion, that it's actually a woman, and her code name, her undercover code name was Moses. Her real name was Harriet Tubman. She was uh, born into slavery in the 1820s after a life of uh, just harsh cruelty and slavery. She escaped in 1849 in a daring escape. Um, And then she made it her mission to bring as many people as possible out of slavery. During the Civil War, she served as a scout, a spy for the Union Army. There was always a bounty on her head. People were trying to capture her and kill her. Um, But she credited her faith in Jesus Christ, and in particular, the promises of the Bible, that was what gave her courage, that was what sustained her. Same thing that Martin Luther King Jr. would say it sustained him as well, was the story of Scripture and specific Bible verses. For Harriet Tubman, for instance, she meditated her whole life on one verse in particular from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 16, verse 3, hide the fugitives, don't betray the refugees. She said, and this I quote, she told her one of her biographers, she said, I prayed all the time and I was always talking to the Lord, and she was actually using the words of Scripture to pray. So she said she would go over and she'd take water and she'd wash her face and she'd say, Oh Lord, wash my sins away. Or she'd go sweep with a broom and she'd say, Oh Lord, just dust my, take my sins away, quoting scripture all the time. We've been doing a series here and this is number five out of five. And Bishop Stewart preached the last two. And I especially encourage you to listen to the last sermon he preached. But we've been doing a sermon series called Fully Scriptural. And One of the things we've been talking about, it's not the only thing, but one of the things we've been talking about is there's a Bible, is how to get the Bible from there into here. So it's in our lives, and it's actually making a difference in our life. And it's not just an ancient book that was written a long ago that's hard to understand, but it's actually a living and active Word of God that actually begins to change us. It begins to rewire our brain and our mind. It begins to to rewire our affections and our heart, and we become less self-centered and more other-focused and more patient and more kind, but also more spiritually discerning, able to discern what between good and evil, between right and wrong, and having a deep spiritual perception. And, and, And that is God's goal for us in our life. So in this last sermon, I want to focus on one word. One word, it's a Bible word, and it has specific meanings in the Bible, and it's the word meditation. Meditation on Scripture. And meditation, the, the key to getting the Bible from there to here is a lifelong practice and habit of meditating on Scripture. Not only personally and individually, but corporately. Because, I don't know if you noticed this, but a lot of our liturgy is just, a lot of the way we do worship is just laced with Scripture. 
directly from Scripture or scriptural themes. And so it's a lifetime of meditating on Scripture. And to help us do that, I'm going to turn to one of the Psalms. So the book of Psalms are the prayer book for Jews and Christians for thousands of years. And there's one Psalm in particular that's all about meditating on Scripture. It's Psalm 119. And so if you would open your Bible almost smack in the middle, you would hit Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the entire Bible. 176 verses, 2,300 words in English. I think it's on page 514 if you have one of the black Bibles that we have here at Res. And it's divided, it's actually got this amazing and brilliant architecture. It's 22 sections, and each section begins with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And Father Stephen just told me, said actually each verse begins with that letter that heads off that section, right? Did I get that right? So it's actually got this, if you're, if you're an engineer or if you're a poet or something like that, it's got this brilliant architecture to it. And it's, it's written by somebody who has meditated on God's Word. So the word meditation or meditate is used eight times. Now, what do we mean when we say meditation? Because there's a lot of different meanings to that, and people mean different things. Let me tell you what it does not mean. So, I don't know if you've ever watched the TV show Parks and Recreation. Some people binge watch this. I think it was six seasons long. There's this guy named Ron Swanson, who's kind of this no-nonsense, just manager kind of guy, not a real super deep thinker. And he visited a meditation center. And they asked him what happened, and he said, they asked him if he meditated, he said, I just stood there, quietly breathing. There were no thoughts in my, my, my head whatsoever. My mind was completely blank. Okay, that is not what we mean by biblical meditation. It's not thinking about nothing. It's not emptying your mind. It's actually filling your mind with the words of the Bible. And there are actually two, two things that are really important to biblical meditation. And we actually see them in verse 97, which is one of the verses in your bulletin. We said we were no longer going to print the passages in your bulletin, but today we did. So Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So two things. First is love or delight. And the second thing is thinking. And I want to say not just any kind of thinking, but I'll define it this way. Undistracted focused attention. UFA. Not UFC, UFA. Undistracted, focused attention. That's the part of thinking. Let's deal with the first part first, the thinking part, and then we'll deal with the loving or delighting part. So thinking. The Hebrew word for meditation means, sometimes it's translated as to talk out loud to yourself, to talk it through. You're sort of mumbling to yourself. Well, it's not just a random mumbling. It's sort of talking God's word to yourself. You take a verse of the Bible and you repeat it and you actually say it out loud. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you say that out loud. You say it to yourself. You say it when you're stressed. You say it when you're worried. In Psalm 119, there's a, there's a great verse that talks about storing up God's word. So, Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's storing it up like somebody stores up milk and eggs and bread before the snowstorm because you know you're going to need it. 
So he stores up God's word in his heart because he knows he's going to need it sometime soon. Let me tell you how this works. I'll give you a personal example. So sometimes, every once in a while, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, 2.30 in the morning, sort of not having a panic attack. I wouldn't call it that severe, but just extremely anxious about stuff in my life. Extremely anxious about what I need to do. Extremely anxious about what I need to get done. Extremely anxious about a lot of things. And one night, this week in particular, as I was very anxious in the middle of the night, actually a verse of the Bible that I had stored in my heart, I'd thought about it, I'd meditated on it, I'd actually memorized it because it's something I needed. Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. It's a promise that God's going to deliver me from my fears. I'm in the midst of this anxiety. I'm struggling. But God's word, it's stored in my heart. and it's, Now it's coming back to me. It's coming around to me. That's what meditation does. Now, and, and as we do this, it begins to change us. It begins to change us because it's not just dead words in a book, but it's infused in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's actually, you're connecting with the Lord. You're not just connecting with an ancient, dusty text, but you're connecting with the Lord who has breathed these words. So you're developing and deepening in your intimacy with, with the Lord. Now, how do we do this? Because this is really, this is hard. And this is going to go against what is in our culture. Because there are really smart people who work really hard to get your attention for their product, for their game, for their app, for their website, for their TV program, for their whatever. And these are not bad people. They're just they're doing their job. But they're really smart, and they're working really hard to capture your attention. So here's the first thing we need to do, is we need to create a distraction-free zone in our day. So for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If you're not doing any of this, you don't need to be ashamed. You can just say, start with five to seven minutes. Five to seven is better than zero. 10 is better than seven. So, but create a distraction-free zone in your day where you put aside, you're not multitasking. Now, you may think, no, I'm really good at multitasking. Actually, you're not. Nobody is. They've actually done research on this, a lot of research on this. And what they found is that people think they can multitask, but actually the research shows we're all really bad at multitasking. You say, well, I'll keep my cell phone there. You know, actually, that's a bad idea too. Another research study, a bunch of them actually, shows that just having your phone near you is a distraction. And when it beeps, even if you don't answer it, your blood pressure gets a little spike, and your mind goes somewhere else. And now it's harder to come back. See, this is really nitty-gritty kind of stuff, but it, it matters. It makes a difference. God wants to get our attention. He's not noisy. He's got like a still, small voice. He's not going to yell and shout at us, but he wants to get our attention. So will you create a distraction-free zone? And the second thing is, you have to read something. I mean, you can't put the Bible under your pillow, and then you're going to wake up, and Scripture is going to be in your head, in your heart. It just doesn't work that way. 
You have to read it, and then you reread it, and then you talk it out, and then you do what Harriet Tubman did. Like throughout the day, she's washing her face, and she's thinking of a scripture verse. She's doing her job rescuing slaves and, and refugees, and she's thinking about scripture. She's meditating on it. She's walking with it. I personally, I have a hard time just sitting still and meditating on the Bible, but I love going for walks. I'll walk, take a verse, walk, pray about it, think about it, whatever works for you. But in the process, you are storing up God's Word. You're getting it from there into here, actually into your life, where it can actually make a difference. Now, let me just say, again, if you're not doing this regularly, start with like five to ten minutes. Start really small, five times a week, and, and make it a practice. Make it a habit. I, I really believe that you will be amazed. It'll be hard at first. It might be hard for a week. It's like exercise. It might be hard for a week or two. But you will find, actually, you start to see things happen pretty quickly. The Scripture starts coming back to you. The second word, so the first word is to think. That's the first part of meditation undistracted, focused attention. The second word is delight. Notice in this psalm, actually he uses the word delight ten times and the word love nineteen times. Here's one of the verses that you heard read about delighting in God's word. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, I don't know if you've ever had honey right from a honeycomb. I mean, right from the hive. I have a friend on Long Island that owns a, he's an apiarist. He's a beekeeper. And he gave me honey straight from the hive, straight from the honeycomb, dripping into my mouth. It was sweet. It's like, I can still have store-bought honey, but it's like, it's not the same. It's sweet to the mouth. So the psalmist is talking about that kind of delight. Now, sometimes Christians think like Old Testament people, the Jews of the Old Testament, the Word of God was just drudgery. It was boring. It was a burden. It was horrible. And then Jesus came, and all of a sudden, wow, everything's great. Well, it's not exactly what happened. Look at this guy. This is before Jesus came. But he's delighting in the Lord and in the Word of God. Sometimes I asked Father Stephen this question. I said, so how did people get saved in the Old Testament? And he said, same way they get saved in the New Testament. Well, it's different, but the same, the same process, because they didn't have, the cross hasn't happened, the resurrection hadn't happened, Jesus hadn't come in, incarnate in the flesh. So they trusted in the grace and mercy of God, sort of the same way we do. Now Jesus has come so we can actually trust the Messiah that they were longing for. They were looking for that to come, and they trusted in that grace and mercy. We're looking back on it, trusting in that grace and mercy. But the point is, is that there's this delight that God wants you to have in his word, the Bible. He wants you to have that. I believe it's his will for all of us to delight in his word. That's, delighting is about our emotions, but it's more than that. It's 
what some people would call your affections. Your affections is all about what you love, what you value, what you treasure, what brings you joy. That's what your affections are. We sometimes say, like maybe we hear a story, we hear a story about a a soldier that comes back and he surprises his family and they didn't know he was going to come back and, and, and we watch that story and like tears come to our eyes and we go, oh man, that got me right here. Now we don't literally mean it got me in my chest, although it's part of it, but it got me in my affections. It stirred me. It moved me. It... <clears throat> made me long for something. It delighted me. That's what, an, that's what the affections are. And God wants us to read his word so that it gets us here. For instance, I think of that story, the gospel reading we had. Here's just an example. The gospel reading. Now, maybe you've heard that a hundred times. Maybe you've never heard it. Maybe it didn't move you. You know, I think part of the reason it doesn't move us is because we don't slow down. We don't meditate on it. We don't think about it. We don't let it penetrate us. But here's this amazing story. Here's this leper, this outcast, this marginalized person, this what in our culture people would think was a total loser. The people didn't want to be around. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, I want to heal you. And he touches this untouchable person who's socially isolated, probably hasn't been touched by another human being for years. And Jesus touches him and heals him. Now again, I can zip by that and feel nothing. But when I stop and think about that, I like, that gets me. God wants us to get something in our heart and not just in our brain when we read the Bible. So, let me ask you a question this morning. How is your heart? How are your affections? If your delight was like on a meter, ranging from zero to ten, where would your delightometer register this morning? A one? Maybe it's zero. Maybe it's a nine, a ten. It's like really rocking. Just, just be honest. I mean, we're not going to judge you for being honest. Just in your own heart, what would you give yourself on the delightometer? See, there is a great enemy of delight, a great enemy of Bible meditation. There's a great enemy of getting God's Word from here to here. And it's the opposite of delight. It's undelight. It's like acid or rust that eats away at any possibility of delight. I'm talking about, uh, let me use this word, cynicism. What is cynicism? Now, let me, just, let me just add a parenthesis here. I'm not talking about thinking critically. I'm not talking about asking good, honest questions. I'm, I'm not talking about admitting that some parts of the Bible are hard to understand. And in our culture, there will be certain things in the Bible that are hard to understand. For instance, we get a little shocked with things like what the Bible says about sexuality and things like that, uh, or things like maybe 
But if you were in South Africa in the 1940s, you would get shocked with what the, what, what the Bible says about the human dignity of each person made in the image of God and what the Bible says about racism. My son lives in Papua New Guinea. They are not shocked by parts of the Bible like animal sacrifices and blood and that kind of stuff because they live with that all the time. What is hard for them is love your enemies. Forgive those who persecute you. That's really an offense to them. So we're all going to have things that are hard to understand depending on our culture. That's because the Bible was written above and for every culture, not just our culture living in 2018 in America. It's written for all of us, so it's always going to cut this way and cut that way. But what I'm talking about is cynicism. What is cynicism? Well, think of the opposite of cynicism. The opposite of cynicism is to be a delighter. So Psalm 103, your word is like honey to my taste. Think of a two-year-old. Think of Winnie the Pooh, okay? And he's found a honeycomb. It's all over him. It's all over his face. It's all over his hands. He puts his head in the honey jar. He is into it. He's engaged. That's Winnie the Pooh is our saint, saint of delighting. Now think of the cynic. The cynic is disengaged. The cynic is removed. The cynic stands above and sees through all that. Goes, I'm not going to get my hand sticky. I'm not going to get my face. I'm not going to look like Winnie the Pooh. He's making a fool out of himself. I'm not going to be a fool. I'm smart. I'm cool. I'm detached. And I can see through all this. I know what they're doing. I have the inside track. You see, the cynic spoils delight for himself or herself, is incapable of delight because he thinks, she thinks, I know everything. I know what they don't know. I see what they don't see. Now, in my experience, oftentimes cynicism is related, not always, but oftentimes it's related to like a wound, a hurt, a bad experience. You got burnt. Maybe you got burnt by the church. Maybe you got burnt by somebody that you were supposed to trust. Maybe you just got hurt. And now it's like a self-protection mechanism. I'm not going to engage. I'm going to stand above and I'm going to see through and I'm going to know. But I'm not going to get engaged. Well, again, that becomes like an acid that eats away at delight. And God wants you to have delight. I am a recovering cynic. Long phase. Long phase of delighting in the Bible. Long phase of not delighting in the Bible. Being really cynical. Now I'm in a phase that I hope lasts the rest of my life, by God's grace, where I'm actually delighting in the Bible again. So I was thinking this week, how did I get out of that middle phase? What, what happened? I've never really thought about it. I've never really defined it. And let me share three things that happened. And maybe they'll be helpful for you if you're struggling with cynicism. The first thing is, I had to admit that I really have a problem. I'm like, like an alcoholic, you know? This has become unmanageable. I can't control this anymore. I have a problem because cynicism is like a spiritual disease. It's not spiritual health. It looks cool. It feels cool because you're detached. You're looking down on people. 
but it's really a spiritual disease. It's not healthy. So I had to admit to God and others, I have a problem. I have this spiritual disease. It's called cynicism. But I also had to believe that Jesus heals sinners and spiritually sick people. That's why he came. So that gave me a lot of hope. The second thing is, I did read a lot and study a lot. I'm going to like press it. I got all these questions. I got all these doubts. I got all these things I just, that just don't make sense. Rather than just throw up my hands and say, oh, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I actually pressed into these things. And I, this is one thing I did. I, I got to say I did well. You know, you know, I've shared a lot of things I've done wrong in my sermons, but I actually did this well. I like, I found people who were not cynical. Teach me. I want to learn from you. Let me ask you questions. Reading people that fed my delight rather than feeding my cynicism. Because a lot of what you see on social media, a lot of what you see on TV, a lot of what you see in politics is cynical. Really cynical. It's poison. Sometimes we can't avoid it, but you can feed yourself stuff that's going to make your delightometer go up rather than down. And the third thing is I had to ask God and his church for a miracle. Had to say, I'm stuck. I can't get out of this. I don't know how to get out of this. I just can't think my way all the way out of this, although that's part of it. But I need a miracle. And I need God, Jesus, and I need the church to help me do that. So I started going on along the side, asking people to pray for me, getting prayer, asking the church to help me. You know, I love the way this psalm ends. It's really beautiful. So here's the way it begins, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And then notice the way it ends. So this guy says, I want to walk in God's ways. I want to do this. But then notice how he, he, he ends the very last verse, verse 176. After 2,300 words in English, he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. What is that? It's a cry for mercy. It's a cry for help. And that's why I love our gospel reading, because here comes this leper. He's our saint. He's our model. He's our mentor, this despised, marginalized person. He's our mentor because he knows how to ask Jesus for help. And he believes that Jesus is someone that heals people who have a spiritual disease. So as next, this Wednesday, we'll start with Ash Wednesday, then we enter into our Lenten season. And, and as a church, we pray that this would be a season of coming honestly before the Lord where we are and then receiving the healing power of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.